What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you guys go check out Ethos Fantasy BB. We did get it up to 200 followers yesterday. We were really hoping for that yesterday on the show, talking about that. We got a few that trickled in overnight, so really appreciate that. Keep it growing over there. That's where all of our new content will be released from. Podcasts, of course, articles, and different things that are released directly to Twitter, not in article form, Twitter threads, and that sort of thing. Please make sure you are following. The next bit of content that is likely to be out there are my positional tiers. I'm currently working on those. <clears throat> I've gone through, I'm not going position by position. I'm doing little by little at each position. I'm, I'm not really sure how deep we're going to do it per position. I think likely we'll do probably like 35 players per position, something like that. Deeper, obviously, for starting pitchers and probably a little bit farther for outfield. But I think generally we're going to do between 35. Maybe some positions will be more than others, but uh, we're currently working on those positional rankings. I think we're probably going to have them tiered out. They're currently just ordered out in terms of rankings. I've done the first 20 or so starting pitchers. I have the first 15 catchers, which is pretty much all the catchers I'm comfortable with at this point. Uh, 17 first baseman, and then I've just briefly started on uh, second, third, and short here. Those ones I'm really, really just in the early going still. Uh, but those should be out on the website, at least some of them. I'm going to release them probably separated. Uh, we'll do some write-ups. Not, probably not for every player, but we'll do some general write-ups to go along with those actual lists that come out. And I'm thinking the first week of the new year is when you guys are going to start to see those on sportsethos.com and also at Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you check out both places. Now, I had planned to have Greg Jewett on the show today. We've had to push that back to likely tomorrow night. I was caught up with a bunch of family stuff during the day today, and I was not able to actually make the time to record. There was not really a, a bit of an emergency, I guess. Uh, I had to postpone talking to Greg. I wasn't sure when I was going to actually be able to get the chance to carve out a little bit of time to plan out a show and do a show. So, unfortunately, uh, I'm sorry about that. Tomorrow, he will be talking with us. There is a chance it might be Friday. But I think it's likely to be tomorrow evening's show. And we concluded our starting pitching reviews. And I didn't really want to start relief pitching without Greg because we're going to go through some of the recent news around relievers. We're going to talk about some of the elite guys from last season. And I didn't really want to do that without him because I wanted him to join us for that first talk that we have on relievers. So today we're going to go through a little bit of news that has happened over the last couple of days across baseball Nothing too, too exciting, but a couple of things that I do want to just talk about. Now, the first thing that really did interest me, and we've already talked about this a little bit in terms of the fantasy relevance of this player, but it's Sean Murphy signing an extension in Oakland, six or not in Oakland, excuse me, in Atlanta after being traded from Oakland, $73 million over six years. It seems like, I don't know what Alex Anthopoulos is able to do to get these kind of contracts signed. It's incredibly cheap, it seems to me anyway, like $12 million a year for six years, 12 and change anyway, $12.15 million, $1.6 million per year. Uh, there's also a club option for 2029. I don't know how he's able to do this. And Jeff Passan put it all together in a tweet earlier. All of the Braves, uh, so the Braves club control after today's six-year Sean Murphy extension. They have Austin Riley through 2033, Michael Harris through 2032, Matt Olson through 2030, Murphy and Spencer Strider through 29, Ronald Acuna and Vaughn Grisham through 28, 
Ozzy Albies through 27, Kyle Wright through 26, and Max Fried through 2024. Absolutely insane that they were able to do that. It absolutely breaks my heart that Alex Anthopoulos is not still the general manager of the Blue Jays. That's when we were really in our aggressive, competitive era of trading prospects for players like David Price, for Troy Tulowitzki, making trades like the R.A. Dickey trade, as much as it kind of pissed me off, you know, you have to go and, you know, really, really go for it sometimes. And he was actually willing to do that. And we've seen now with Atlanta the things that he has been able to do, building together a roster comprised of older great players that he's acquired like Matt Olson, like Sean uh, Murphy now and others to go along with these young's homegrown studs that he has the Acunas and the Harris's and the Riley's and the Striders. It's, it's really an incredible feat. And the fact that he has all these players signed for this term, everybody's talking about how all the Braves take advantage of players and, you know, we shouldn't praise them for doing this sort of thing. It's like, they have agents. These players have agents. It's not like they're, you know, they're negotiating with the Braves in bad faith and they don't know what they're getting themselves into. It's like you're talking about this many players. It's not like there's some kind of like spell or something. You know, you're you're bypassing. And I, I have to preface it by saying I'm not one who is really so tuned into contract stuff in terms of that. Like I'm not really big on how all of the different intricacies of the CBA work for contracts and everything else. But I believe that they bypassed all those years of arbitration in order, and they left a little bit of money on the table to avoid the hassle of going to arbitration every single year. So I don't think that the Braves take advantage of players the way that the narrative kind of is that, you know, the Braves are an evil team and, you know, they don't pay their players a proper wage. These players have management, these players have agents who represent them. They get them fair deals, fair enough to market value, I guess it looks to our untrained eye as fans as fantasy players that maybe these deals are unfair but in reality you know they seem to be pretty okay like if they weren't okay then these players wouldn't sign them you know you see certain teams like the blue jays you know boba and vladimir guerrero still sitting there getting more expensive every day that they get a little bit closer to free agency they have not signed those massive contracts that you saw guys like Acuna sign and Ozzy Albee sign and Michael Harris. You know, the Jays didn't do that kind of thing. And there's a certain balance and trade off between doing it and not doing it. So we can't look at the Braves and say, no, this is, you know, they're taking advantage of players. I, I don't agree with that narrative. Don't need to spend so much time on it because it's not really fantasy related necessarily. Just wanted to get caught up on the news of these last couple of days. We have to do a check-in on Carlos Correa, and the most recent report is that three teams are recently contacted or recently did contact him after issues with his physical with the Mets. I'm not even sure if we actually covered it on the show. I think the last we talked here about it, because we've been caught up doing starting pitching reviews, uh, the last we talked about it, Carlos Correa had signed with the Mets, and now there was reports that they were concerned with his physical, and we're not sure if he's going to end up signing with the Mets. I don't know what the hell to make of the Carlos Correa situation. Three teams reached out. It's unknown which teams they are, how serious these teams might be about acquiring him. We're really not sure what to expect with Carlos Correa, which makes it very hard to draft him right now and to put him in rankings because I was doing my rankings, like I said, and I haven't got to the point down the list of shortstop where I need to rank him. And at third base, I want to rank him. And if I were to rank him, it would be at number nine, currently right behind Gunnar Henderson. That's where I would have him. But we also don't know if he is, in fact, going to end up going to the Mets. Like, it doesn't look like he's going back to San Francisco at this point. But maybe there is a wild card team that comes out of the blue and takes him on. I don't think that that is out of the realm of possibility. 
maybe he does end up playing shortstop next season, and then people who have pushed him up because of the hope that he's going to play third base will end up being disappointed. So you could still see a team like the Dodgers. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Dodgers just something falls through with the Mets. They come in and they sign him. That's the team that I would keep an eye out for if it does end up falling through with New York. If that were the case, then you could probably expect to see Carlos Correa back at shortstop. So he's a very hard player to figure out right now. If you're drafting at this point in time, it makes it very, very difficult to feel any sort of certainty pitting the draft button on Carlos Correa because, you know, uh, he's being pushed up in these drafts recently. He's going closer to pick 100 as a whole, still pick 123. But, you know, you really don't have that certainty about where he's going to be playing, what the eligibility is. And I don't think that eligibility is that important for fantasy. Like, I think it, it does play a role. I think it does get overblown a little bit. And it's actually what I'm going to be talking about a little bit tomorrow on the on the Wire podcast when I'm, when I'm doing a guest spot on there. That is going to be what we're talking about is different biases in fantasy. And I think one of them is going to be favoring players more so because of multi-position eligibility. I think it would help. And in general, it does help but we might push up players a little bit too much because of it. And specifically in this case with Carlos Correa, because just even the thought of it, because third base is just so incredibly poor, like hypothetically, not that this would be the case. And this is a hypothetical that wouldn't really happen in this particular instance, but let's say he was shortstop going to first base and he was going to have that dual eligibility. You'd still maybe like him, but you wouldn't like him nearly as much because it's not such a primo position like third base. But the fact that it is dual eligibility will always make people a little more happy to pull the trigger on players, even if it doesn't really end up mattering so much. Here, I think it possibly could with Correa. We're just really not sure what to make of him at this point because we don't know where he's going to sign. So at this point in time, <clears throat> I think you have to keep him in that 120-ish kind of range in terms of overall value. If he does sign with the Mets, it ends up sticking with the Mets. Call him a, you know, about pick 100, and if not, if he goes to another team as a shortstop, then you have to think he's going to be roughly in the same place where he is right now. But until we really know for sure, we don't know what to make of his value or Eduardo Escobar's value because we're not really sure if he's going to be a starting third baseman or not. He could end up really benefiting from Carlos Correa not signing with the Mets. Brett Beatty is another guy who we're not sure. Maybe he plays third base. Maybe he plays in the outfield somewhere. Players that have their fates hanging in the balance here that we're not really sure about for fantasy. We won't really know until Carlos Correa makes a decision or maybe – better put, until teams make a decision about him. Now we're going to be talking about a couple of pitchers who have signed uh, over these last day or so, a couple of days, I guess. And we're going to start off with one who just signed today, actually, and that's Corey Kluber. It's a one-year, $10 million deal for Kluber with the Boston Red Sox. I think that it's, I don't know, I think it's fine. I think the Red Sox are, are relatively directionless at this point. So any signings for me, any moves for them that bring players in at this point, I, I don't really, really understand it. Like starting pitching depth is always nice, but this team is just is just ridiculous. Like I've I've gone on about it many different times on the show. I think that starting pitching is definitely a weakness still for them, but I, I don't think that they should be adding. I think that they should be actively tearing the team down at this point. Since Bogarts left, I don't really see the point of it. I didn't understand the Yoshida signing. I don't understand really any of the moves that they have made. I think they should try and shop Raphael Devers personally, but they bring in players. They bring in Corey Kluber, and they bring in Yoshida, and there was another acquisition. Oh, yeah, Justin Turner. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to fill out a roster, I guess. Corey Kluber currently, according to Fangraphs, slotted in as the second pitcher in the rotation. 
behind Chris Sale, which who knows how much we're going to get out of Chris Sale this season. This past year, it was five and two-thirds innings, so have to keep expectations fairly low for him. Nick Pavetta, we're not really sure what to expect out of him. He was at times very good this year. Overall finished not too well uh, with a 4-5-6 ERA. James Paxton did not pitch in the big leagues in 2022. We're not really sure what he's going to do either. You know, there's a lot of massive question marks surrounding this Red Sox team in that fifth spot in the rotation. Is it going to be Garrett Whitlock? Is it going to be somebody else coming in throughout the offseason and they move Whitlock back to more of a relief role? I'm really not sure what to expect. The team overall does not make a hell of a lot of sense. Now, in terms of Corey Kluber for fantasy purposes, I think he can be fine. Like, if you look, one thing to really like this season is that his FIP was a lot lower than his ERA. He had a 434 ERA, a 357 FIP, but he also lost quite a few ticks on his uh, strikeout percentage. For the career, 26%, which was really at his peak there between 2014 and I guess, you know, 2020 short season when he had his, his real run of dominance there in the American league, he's striking out only 20% of batters now, 24% in 2021 and down to 20% this season. Now the good thing was he only walked 3% of batters. So he was able to get by there. The whip was only at 121. Overall, it wasn't a bad season for him. I don't really necessarily love the move to go to Boston I don't think that it is a great place for him to be pitching. Uh, it's a fairly hitter-friendly ballpark. In terms of the team context as well, they're not going to be very good. You can't expect too many wins. I think overall he is not going to be much of an option, but you don't really have to pay for him at this point. He's going as pick 454. He's definitely not somebody that you're going to be taking in a 10, 12, even even if you're in a standard 15-teamer like in a, you know Yahoo or... ESPN or wherever, if you're playing 15-team leagues there where you're still talking three outfield kind of formats, I, I don't know that you're going to be taking him there. Like, he is probably more reserved at this point for draft champions. I, I don't think you really need to be taking a shot on him in any kind of shallower format. If you want to, then he'd have to be kind of a last pick, and even there, I think you'd be reaching. I think there will be points of the year where maybe he has a nice two-start week and you pick him up for a stream or there's a nice opportunity against the Athletics or the Pirates or something, and you stream him in there. But he's not somebody that I'd be looking to draft. He's definitely not somebody that I'd consider must-roster heading into next season. Now, let's talk about another signing that took place. Nathan Eovaldi. I think this one could potentially be interesting. Nathan Eovaldi, two years, $34 million to the Texas Rangers. Now, I want to talk about something first here before we necessarily go in directly to Eovaldi. A lot of talk today, and I think it's actually Fangraphs has it as well. I'm not even sure where they have it, um, but they did. there's some kind of list I saw going around online of like the best rotations in baseball, the projected best rotations in baseball. And apparently number two is supposed to be the Texas Rangers. I think that that's a little crazy. I personally can't see that myself. You know, Jacob deGrom is obviously an elite option. Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball on a per-inning basis. After that, there is just so many question marks regarding this rotation. And we just talked about it recently when we did our John Gray uh, analysis a few days ago. Between him, like, I, I, I'm pretty confident that John Gray is going to give you a really good season. And I actually said... I think by the end of the year, on a total value basis, he could give you a better year than Jacob DeGrom. I am a John Gray guy. I like him for sure. 
That being said, outside of those two guys and DeGrom already with, you know, massive injury concerns, and then you have John Gray, who's never really had injury problems necessarily. I mean, until this year, but there's not like a long track record of injury history like you have DeGrom. After them, Martin Perez, Nathan Ivaldi, Andrew Heaney. I don't think, and then Jake Odorizzi, I guess, if you want to go with the six-man rotation. This is not a great rotation at all. I, I would much rather take the Blue Jays rotation. I think it is much better. Obviously, I am a little bit biased, but if you think about it, Gosman, Manoa, and Bassett right there, I think that that's probably better in and of itself. If you just look at those three guys, like I would take all of them above there. Jose Barrios, depending on how you want to view him, you could also say that he is, I mean, Jose Barrios is probably better than any of those guys in that rotation besides Gray and DeGrom. So, I mean, maybe you want to argue that Evaldi's better. Maybe you want to argue that Heaney's better. I, I think overall, there's a lot of risk in this rotation to call it the second best in baseball. Now, for just Evaldi's sake, the big problem with him this year was the loss in the velocity and also the loss in his strikeout percentage, which, of course, the two things kind of go hand in hand. He did miss some time. I believe it was a shoulder problem. He started 20 games, uh, 109 innings. I, I think it was a shoulder, but I can't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, he lost a decent little bit on the strikeout percentage there from 25.5 down to 22.5, and, and he lost some steam on the fastball, which had typically been in the last few years, 96, 97, and this year he averaged below 96 with it. Typically, like, 97 is where he's been, like, at the low end for the last several years. This was his lowest usage that he'd had in a little while, 38%, and you're also looking at only 95.8 on average. So will he be able to get the velocity back up? That's that's a huge question for Eovaldi in terms of the team factor. He's going to what is probably going to be a better Texas team than there is in Boston, going to a slightly better ballpark there. So I will take that for sure. I think overall... He's a, I don't know. I don't think it's a great play to draft him with that much certainty. You don't have to spend that much on him at pick 251. But at the same time, I don't have a ton of confidence that we're going to see that strikeout percentage get back up. He's more a league average guy in that regard for his career anyway, even below it for stretches. And we just kind of saw him, you know, achieve good numbers in 2020 and 2021 there, 26 and 25 percent respectively. I wouldn't really expect that number to go back up a little bit. I think it's probably maybe it goes up a touch, but you're looking at essentially average strikeout numbers to go along with granted really good walk numbers, and you're probably getting average whip because of it, one two to one two five kind of range. I, I think he's fine. I wouldn't be too excited about drafting him. But if you're getting him, you know, where he's generally going at pick two fifty one, I guess he's okay as like a last pick in your draft. I, I'm I would try and aim for somebody with a bit more upside. I just don't think there is that much you can really hope for with Yavaldi beyond maybe, you know, 10, 11 wins. Like we said, average strikeout numbers, decent walk numbers, but he's not, you know, so great at limiting contact that it's really going to make so much of a difference in the whip there. That 4% walk rate is kind of wasted a little bit almost, and he's always been a good walk percentage guy. For the career, 6.6%. But his whip for the career is 1.32. So there is a little bit of disconnect there. I'm not really so big on, on Nathan Ivaldi. I think for the most part, you're probably pretty okay to just overall pass him up in your draft if you take him 
where he's going, then he's fine. But he's not somebody that I would really rely on to give you, you know, those great kind of numbers that we saw in 2021 from him, where the indicators were actually like, you know, below what he actually gave you in terms of ERA. This past season, 387 ERA and the indicators, except for the XFIP, which I'm not a huge XFIP guy, uh, they were all above it. I guess the Sierra was a little bit below it as well, but for the most part, uh, you're looking at a 430 FIP, 431 XERA, where he had a 387 ERA. It wasn't looking so great, and of course those numbers are kind of tied to strikeouts, so there is that as well. But not a lot of confidence you can really have in, uh, in Nathan Eovaldi for next season. One more guy we are going to talk about today. Now, I do want to leave the relief pitcher stuff uh, alone. We're not going to talk about the Craig Kimbrell signing for now. I want to just leave that one alone until we do talk with, uh, with Greg tomorrow because I think that he is obviously more knowledgeable on that anyway, and we'll get his take on the relief pitcher stuff. The last guy we are going to talk about today is Rich Hill. Now, <laughs> it's kind of funny. 43 years old. He's going to be at 43 years old by the next by the time he throws his next pitch in the big leagues. The fact that he's still pitching is kind of hilarious. And I actually think that this money that the Pirates gave him, this $8 million, I'm just trying to think. Uh, Santana's deal was $6 million, I think. So this is their biggest free agent signing then in, what was it, five years, six years? It's pretty bizarre. It's pretty sad that the organization operates like this. But here we are. And, I mean, Rich Hill wasn't terrible this last year. He still gave you a 427 ERA the year prior, 386. He's not bad. Like, he's not great. He's not somebody that I would rely on. But he's somebody where if you're at the end of your DCs and you need a dart throw who you can hope for, you know, for some innings here and there, Rich Hill's going to pick 670. He's not getting drafted in every single draft even. But he's somebody where, you know, he might have a little bit of deeper, deeper, deeper league value this season. And I say that, you know, kind of hesitantly, but he's still giving you close to league average strikeout and walk numbers. 20, what is it, 20.7% on the strikeout rate this past year, 7% on the walk rate, which is actually pretty damn good for him for the career. He's 9%. He's had years in the past where it was really bad. He's more had it in control recently. But he's still giving you, like, very decent production. Obviously, the team context is really bad in Pittsburgh. But, you know, for one of your last couple of picks, if you're going to need somebody to fill in innings down the stretch, there's a chance that he might be able to give you some innings there. And, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to expect a lot from him. But you're talking about a very poor division where you might be able to have some decent games at home with matchups against the Cubs and the Reds. This is strictly for DCs and, you know, maybe even the Brewers, depending on how they end up looking. This is not for any kind of shallower formats. This is not for 10s and 12s. He is strictly going to be an option in draft champions formats in round 47, 48, 49, 50 kind of range. Definitely not somebody that I would be reaching on or anything like that. Definitely not even somebody that I'm saying, like, you have to draft. Like, he's just an option once you're getting to that range where there really aren't too many sexy-looking players that you can pencil in for probably, you know, a, a decent little bit of value. Where And, you know, in this range, even if he doesn't pay off, you're probably not going to hurt too badly if you take him in, in this kind of range. He's somebody where you might be able to get 120 kind of innings out of him, and he fills in for injuries down the stretch. Steamer's projecting 111 innings. If he gives you that, and they're projecting a 442 ERA, at the back end of your D.C., you could do worse. So just something to keep in mind here as draft season really gets into full force. But guys, 
thank you again for hanging out with me, for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you guys going and following Ethos Fantasy BB. I see you guys doing that. I really appreciate it. That is really fantastic, hitting 200 followers. I know it's not a huge number for that particular page or for any page, but I still really appreciate the support, you guys checking it out. You guys can follow me on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and of course, you can see all the stuff that we do at SportsEthos.com. Now, tomorrow, we should have Greg on the show, worst case scenario, uh, you guys can find that one on Friday by the end of the week for sure. And also go check out the On The Wire podcast. I'll be on there tomorrow. It's part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Adam Howe and my friend Kevin Hastings. Adam will be a friend after we finish. Kevin, I'm already well familiar with. We've had uh, some fun together in Arizona playing golf, having a few drinks. So that one will be really fun to record. You guys should go check that one out wherever you get your podcast. But I will leave you guys there for tonight until tomorrow i hope everybody enjoys their early drafts and they're relaxing this evening guys take care and cheers for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.